Storymakers. Which is not a Tibetan prayer bowl. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. <laughs> are we keeping the show? We are. That's the question. Well, I am. All right. The, post- the apostrophe is optional. Yes. You choose your own apostrophe. Okay. It's All like right. an adventure in possession. That's right. It's a, it's a grammatical. Choose your own grammar. Mm. adventure yeah yeah they, they should have those maybe Absolutely. maybe no one else would care so tell me about today's topic uh well first should we start with what we're, work- we're talk- working on after we introduce the topic okay great <laughs> we are so rehearsed um we have a question which is this have you heard of or do you use any particular method to telescope in and out from scene by scene editing of a draft versus wide lens view or, or am I asking the wrong question? I get trapped at sentence level. I don't have a sense of the whole novel. Maybe mm-hmm. because I can't bear to realize it fails on a macro level. <laughs> Maybe this question is another attempt at avoidance. Sigh. But no, I think it's a great question, mm-hmm. actually. And I think it's a smart question. So that's our topic for today. After we find out, what are you working on, Angie Powers? Well, right now I'm working on a lot of work work. And beyond the work work, I'm also working on getting some color uh, together for the film and getting some sound done and uh, moving forward, so. That's exciting. Yeah. Does it make you think about future films? Yes, I really am ready to think about other films. (laughs) A different angle. Yeah. Well, I'm in a incredibly fun, uh, you know, waiting, waiting moment. I'm so, and I'm so good at it because I'm, just patient uh-huh. and That's calm your nature. and just even keeled mm. and, you know, really trusting the universe and everybody and the past, present, future. It's just so good to just be waiting. Yeah. Yeah. That so. is everything I've ever thought about you yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah. So I just, I want to say to everybody who's waiting, I hope you can just be equanimical. Us. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I have no idea what that even means. Equin- equanimical. Equanimity. Equanimical? You know what? It's, I'm using an adjectival form. Mm. Anyway, mm. we are having a little wine. Yes. Yes. Which was not the Tibetan not, tribal. We're not doing meditation. Anyway, mm. uh, probably we could do a whole thing about waiting. Yeah. But that's a different kind of toggling than we're talking about today. So right. let's, let's move on to this. I love this telescoping. Telescoping in and out, right? From scene by scene editing to the wide lens view. And I think that this is especially challenging with a book because it's so, um, you know, linear. I mean, you not that the book itself has to be organized in a linear way, but you have to sort of take it in in a linear way. I guess that's sort of true of film, but not true of painting. <laughs> painting, it's easy. You just like, you step back. Yes, and Ooh, all the painting, step in. The painters out there are like, mm-hmm, it's easy. Yeah, they're like, that's why we're, we don't listen to your show. Yes. Um, we did interview a painter just to say. Mm-hmm. So that's a previous episode. Who that'll did be a very notes. long multi-piece project. But rather than going down the path of comparing to mm-hmm. painting, I think the question has um i guess you could approach it in a couple of different ways so what do you hear as the question when you read it well one is i think 
that we all have kind of favorite parts of the writing process. And so here's somebody who loves sentences, mm -hmm. right? And that's, I mean, that's this Annie uh, Dillard line that I love, right? Do you love sentences? Um, and so how fabulous to love sentences. And yet, yes, you can really get stuck in the weeds if you are editing your, you know, literally, what, 300,000 sentences or whatever. Maybe it's... 30,000. But anyway, in a book, right? You're mm -hmm. just going to have so, so many. Um, you do. You edit every single one. You have your hands all over it. And yet you have to then back up. And so if you, so, how do you do that for a book? And I, for me, I mean, the biggest thing that comes to mind is printing it out. Um, and I actually, I think I mentioned that I heard Andrew Sean Greer say that he prints it to look like a paperback right. book, right? Which I think is great. I haven't quite figured out how to do that. But, um, and then to um so so and then so so to do something to kind of people talk about changing fonts i mean there's just things to kind of estrange yourself from it also listening to it all those things but then in any case going through it reading it quickly and a little bit as if you were someone else mm -hmm. right like like my mom was actually talking about this yesterday like she she handed her her book over to somebody and then she started reading it kind of thinking about that person and picked up all of these mistakes that she hadn't picked up in her you know zillion read-throughs well i think there's a couple of things um one macro level has its own series right Ten thousand and thirty thousand are different right views the ten thousand foot, foot view, view or the thirty thousand foot view and it does strike me they're the kind of problems where you have logic flaws and you have to be removed enough to be able to see the logic flaws, but even that is not the highest level that you can go for reviewing a story and seeing and, things and together. I, I think you have so much to say about this because really this is what you teach. I mean, when you're teaching story development, you're, you're teaching people how to look at it from these, these levels. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I want to acknowledge is that when I'm deep in the weeds of a project and yet trying to talk to you about the logic problems, I get very upset when you point them out to me. <laughs> what you actually do is want to be, yes, you don't like it. I, and I think part of it is that things can sometimes be convincing up close that aren't convincing when you pull back or in the abstract. Mm -hmm. I mean, and maybe, but it. I often think that what ends up happening is, um, I just don't want to change it. Well, I also think that you, and I don't mean this as you, Elizabeth, I mean, when one is writing, they want things to work a certain way. I mean, this is where you start seeing that separation between what is a really character-motivated series of events and what is something the author thought was cool, right? And right. so right. it is important that you be able to sort of step back. And the tools I actually would suggest are boring and difficult, um, <laughs> right? Um, but I think they offer a lot of insight into that higher level thing, right. which Lay is, out. which is, you know, what are you, when you're not working on the sentence level, what is it that you're actually looking for, right? That's the first question. Like, why are you wanting to go to that higher level? And usually it's for those kinds of things, the logic flaw, the, the leaps in character. The behavior, theme also, the right? The theme, like, but um, yeah. So all of those things, and to see how it sort of hangs together. And frankly, the best way that I know how to do that is to make an outline, to look at those actions that your character takes in each scene and then really think about 
does that add? And sometimes you have to like if you if you've only done the work by um, just sort of doing an intuitive exploration. Right. If you've drafted, you've drafted and you've drafted, you've edited sentences till the cows come home. Then I think it is really hard to hold your entire book in your head. And again, when you're looking at something that is about the sweep of the book or about uh, the arc of your character, any of that level, that order of magnitude, you have to do something that abbreviates that meaning. So, And I love that exercise. So this is the, your step list. It's one mm-hmm. of the things we do in Book in a Year. We do it early on so people who are just about to dive in or people who are diving into a revision, they list all their scenes. And you suggest 100. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, whatever. But and meh. meh. Is, is, <laughs> well, here's what's true. And very often, and, you know, the, like just even when I do it, you're like, that's not a scene, right? That's a mm-hmm. sequence. So probably that, you know, when you chop off all those sequences, it probably is 100. But anyway, um, so you, you and it's one line per scene. Mm-hmm. And then why is it there? Mm-hmm. And I feel like so that's what she's. Let me just yeah. clarify. Okay. She's saying one sentence that describes the scene, and one sentence that explains why it's there. And right. that was an exercise I learned at UCLA. And I love that exercise, and I've done it so so many times with this draft because it is absolutely a way to step back and start to see the big picture, to start to see each of those scenes together. And and the further I went into the draft, the more that step list pulled together Mm -hmm. the more I thought about causality as well as so it's like why is this scene here and then how does it lead into the next scene right so how does the scene after it require it and how does you know so there's that kind of that piece I would like you to talk about the why at some point maybe that's a different episode but like the why the scene is there piece I think is is just really worth exploring but I think it's not so much we can talk about it also because it is one of the things that you want to look at when you're doing that higher level editing so the reason you want to look at why you have a scene there is so that you don't have a series of answers that are all the same. <laughs> so you're not like showing re- how they really love each other, showing yeah. how they love each other some more, showing how they still love each other. Now, still love each other could be a different beat if it's like, okay. Well, if we've come from showing how she's had several other relationships outside of that one, showing how she... Uh, so everything that put that relationship into question, then you have, well, they still love each other. Right. Which starts to get into a little bit of the, the build and causality piece, mm-hmm. right? The relationship of the scenes to each right. other. But let's talk about some other kind of why. Why is a scene there? I mean, because for one thing, you know, the things I got closer to as I got further down the pipeline mm-hmm. are things like to set up this later beat. Right. Right. To And now, and like I noticed this with some of my book in the year students who are like five solid drafts in, is that like... Then they and they read a scene in craft class and it's like each like the setting, the offhanded remarks, everything actually is is doing some mm-hmm. real weightlifting, bear weight bearing, wall bearing, weight, whatever it's called. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> Load bearing. Load bearing. <laughs> this is why I don't drink, people. Load bearing, right? Everything is doing load bearing. Mm-hmm. So anyway. So can you can this is like our your favorite thing. Examples. Okay. Well maybe from your film. Um, or something else. Well, there's certain functions you have to hit. And I would I would also say, um, I have one other set of ideas okay. about getting right. that higher Let's level stuff, there. but I'm going to forget. All right, go, you go there first. Um, and actually, it's what does your reader need to know, and do I give them what they need? So 
but not too soon. Right. So basically, your reader doesn't often need to know the horrible thing that happened 25 years ago that kicked off the story at the beginning of the story. Unless it's going to unseat a Supreme Court justice candidate. I said at the beginning of the story. (laughs) I didn't say you didn't need to know it. I said you don't usually need to know that at the beginning of the story. That's why maybe Feinstein withheld the letter for so many months because she thought this plot point is not ready yet. Exactly. This is not a political podcast, but what a great example. So often when we're thinking about what does our reader need to know, we're often assuming they need a lot more information than they do to get started, to hop in, to have that um, rich readerly experience, and it's actually not true. So if you limit what they need to know to things like, um, well, they need to know where they are, right? Right. They need to know, uh, they need to know and understand this character not in a you know historical sense, but in a contemporary sense. How does this character behave? Which they um, know by, which they'll learn by seeing the character. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the reasons we get into heavy backstory is if you start with your character, you know, kind of lying in bed thinking about life or something, mm-hmm. then well, which you're gonna, has been successfully done. Well, <laughs> but even in Gone Girl, he's lying there thinking about life. And his wife is downstairs cooking breakfast, and it's their anniversary, and she's going to disappear, and she's going to torment him, and he knows it with her special, like, treasure hunt of, what do you remember about our relationship, dear, clues. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot at stake and a lot of tension in that. But, yes, so so there's ways you can make it work, Mm -hmm. right? And, of course, and then we sort of need to know those things to make sense of what's going forward. So, you know, if you can do it, do it. But... But only, but the thing is, if you're lying in bed and nothing's happening and it's an ordinary day and you start thinking about this dramatic thing that happened 25 years ago, like maybe that's your story. Right. That's totally possible. And um, anyway, but the idea of going through small sections of your book, like if you feel overwhelmed by the idea of outlining the entire thing, start with, go through each section of your book. And it doesn't even have to be like it matches some, uh, structure requirements right it can be i'm going to do 15 pages a day and i'm just going to ask myself in this section because i've written it and i have a sense of where it is in the storyline what does my reader need to know right now and i'm going to do that for 15 pages a day and i'm going to do it for you know two weeks and i will get through my book in these kinds of things and one of the things that'll happen is you'll start seeing like oh my reader doesn't really need to know this, but I can see that reading in these short bursts that there are things I missed when I was down on the sentence level about the relationship between these two people or that dog and that house, right? When, so, and things like things that you, if you plant and then you don't pay off. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you pay off and you haven't planted, Exactly. Right? I mean, I did a lot of work around one choice that she's going to make and it's like, she had to be more uncertain about that choice for it to be a dramatic moment when she makes the choice, right? If we kind of know and she's like already made that choice. What if it's this? <clears throat> and it is. And it is, right. <laughs> if you're like, if you're like, I'm going to do A, 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 and then you do A and it's like, oh, B is sort of floating off like this undeveloped limb. <laughs> you really are on a tear today. Thank you. So I don't want to forget to circle back to why. Yes. So why, if you're... Why is a scene there? So why is a scene there, as you mentioned, can have a variety of reasons. 
And the reason we're, we're asking ourselves that question is one, uh, there should be change and we should be able to see change in our processes when we look at these um, step lists. Um, and why can range from, you know, I want to demonstrate something about a person. Every scene does more than one thing. So I want to acknowledge that. I don't want to pretend that there's only one thing a scene does to be effective. But from a structural point of view, you can look at it and say, okay, this I'm doing this because it demonstrates my, where my character is now. You could do a series of whys that's just about your character's emotional evolution. I have this thought, which is you could ask yourself, what would I lose? What would the book lose if I cut this scene? Mm -hmm. What would the book, right? Because that's, that's a the, way better question. Isn't that a great question? Like for like five years in, you don't want me to hit your leg. That sound is me hitting Andy's leg <laughs> <laughs> with enthusiasm and affection. Yes, but she doesn't love it. Anyway, only because I don't think our listeners would like it's it. Sound effects. Okay. It's, this is like a radio play. It is. It's an exciting. <laughs> There's a horse coming up. <laughs> so. What would your book lose if this scene weren't in here? The dog got very excited about the horse. Um, so that's, that's and that's a great macro question too, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Because when you're at the sentence level, you're just in love with your sentence. And if you're in love with your sentence, you know what that means? You're a writer. Yes. Like just embrace it. You're in love with your sentence. But you know what? There are going to be so many gorgeous sentences littering your cutting room floor. They yes. just are. And then now I'm like, oh. You write the scene, you try it, you cut it, you try another way, you cut it. You just, you're going to write so, so, so much that gets cut. And that doesn't, that it's great. I mean, things mm -hmm. that are, you know, like the best parts are going to, it's the kill your darlings, but it's like stab your darlings. I mean, it's. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre Your Darlings. That's going to be the title of this podcast. Because, you know, you don't need three darlings in one book. No. Well, uh, we can also talk about, I mean, style on a different uh, note. It's sort of interesting. Someone, um, you know, the other thing you want to look at at those higher levels is, you know, do you have those big scenes that you need to really have a compelling story? So, and like it isn't, steps. and it isn't every single scene there, there, but there are scenes that should really like cause your reader to go, whoa. Right, whether emotionally they didn't expect to go there, or if you're doing and maybe it. your characters too. Right? Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, on their ass. One would assume if you're going to knock your reader on their ass that you have to have knocked your. But you know, I think is... we're going way into uh, inappropriate language territory. Oh. Okay. So who talks? Knock your in your gluteal on their tushies. <laughs> Remember, write your tissues off with our, is our new yes. is our new <laughs> tagline. Okay, so um, so right, so these key scenes, and I mean, we've talked about that. You can go to back episodes where you talk through the seven steps. Mm -hmm. Those are great examples. And looking at the again the relationship between those scenes, what is the build? Right. So there's the scene. There's the scene list. There's the key scenes and how they relate to each other and how they make big things happen. Right. And then the last thing I want us to talk about um, is premise. Okay. That's okay. I see, what you're I, I see what you're going there. That's a huge organizing principle. We did yes. just do it in our book in a year classes that just launched, which I'm very excited about. But, you know, and, and for, and the way you teach it, which is, you know, I guess indebted in some ways to, I don't know, Egri and various other people, but kind of hodgepodge. Yes, hodgepodge. I mean, I yeah. Mean in the best way. Melting pot. 
uh, salad, which is Canadian. Anyway, uh, is abstraction, verb abstraction, mm -hmm. right? Love destroys mistrust, mm -hmm. for example. Right. Yes. And so we've been really looking at these and, and going on that super high level. So looking at that in the context of revision and having, yes, that super high level, you know, it is an organi organizing principle. So it is hard to hold your book in your head. So another exercise you could totally do is, you know, Notice how it's always going back to the actual book. So sit down, prepare to read what you've written. And then, you know, before you do that, like create a premise. Uh, and as we talked about, it's ver abstraction, verb abstraction uh, with some kind of shape to it so that the verb reflects a conflict and an outcome. Uh, so courage triumphs over fear. Right. That kind of thing. So then when you go to read through your book, you know, you could, there's two things. One is the thing I'm reading right now or in this section that I'm reading today, does that reflect that idea? Then once you've read through your whole book and you've actually been in touch with it, and again, that's really important, uh, you ask yourself, does this add up emotionally to what I wanted it to be? And maybe you didn't know when you sat down to write it, but you have a sense now that what you're really talking about is loyalty and um, isolation, right? So those, you know that really those are the sort of the things that you're looking at. And then you can construct it at that point, you know, when you've closed the book and you have a sense of those you know, major pieces. So the short term is to read small chunks and have that, pre-assembled premise but the long term would be read through your book once make a guess what do you think you're actually talking about and if you're doing that revision piece you're probably going to notice that you keep referring to things like hands and rings and um you know circles and there, there'll be these things that right, keep coming up right that are just there and um i think that's true whether you're planning or doing an intuitive draft I don't think planning uh, prevents you from having that intuitive relationship to your metaphors but your metaphors can also help you notice what are the what are those things that you're interested in exploring what do you already have on the page and then once you feel like you've gotten um, a premise that you can rely on then you can go back and push the metaphors that work with it take out the metaphors that work against what you're trying to talk about. And it's another way of looking at sort of, um, there's so many levels of revision. So, <laughs> All right. So just to review quickly before we go on to steal this and wrap up and go out to dinner. Uh, one, um, make a list of every scene in your book. And what would your book lose if this scene weren't there? Why mm -hmm. is this scene, why is this scene necessary? Two, uh, I feel like there was a middle one. What was the middle one? The th three is three is premise. Like come mm. up with a, a abstraction. So we had a general. Well, we talked about the step outline. Mm -hmm. Oh, the we, seven steps. And the seven steps. The seven steps. Go back to our episode on the seven steps, which will be in the show notes, and uh, and listen to that and kind of look for those big scenes that knock everybody on their tushies, mm -hmm. and then go for your theme. And you know we do abstraction, verb abstraction, but just like go for your theme and use that as a filter through which you you know, assess your material. And the thing that you and I both said again and again is 
read your book. <laughs> right? Like, read your book. Not Don't get stuck in the first sentence and make it perfect again. And at some point, you know, you have to sort of say to yourself, okay, like, I'm going to work at the writing level once the other stuff's there because so much is going to end up on the cutting room floor and you've made it perfect and beautiful. So, yes, we love sentences. Yes, I never, like, I'm just write, trying to write. I mean, sometimes I try to write Well, I think but. about with prose, like, really your style is the last thing. You should have something solid, and your last draft is really going to be sharpening those. So you can have some beautiful sentences to begin with. That might be what draw you, that that what you get drawn in by. But ultimately, it's still going to be the last part of your polish. That the foundation has to be strong, and the polish is going to be finding a way to make that wonderfully strong foundation shine and shimmer with your beautiful language. But if the foundation keeps moving, your language isn't going to be able to even reflect it. So, right, so right. just know, if you love sentences, you can start there, but you will definitely end there. So you'll always yeah. have a chance to But don't get stuck there in the middle. Because in the mm. middle, you've, you're figuring out this other stuff. Exactly. All right. So fabulous. So it is time for Steal This, Amateur Poets Borrow, Professional, Professional Poets, Poets Steal, said D.S. Eliot and many others. And today, we're going to talk about I'll start. Yes, thanks. Um, so, you know, I am reading The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. Oh, did not know if that was going to come. And <laughs> one of the things I want to say is that she is so good at, and I'm just kind of in the early stages, but she's created these worlds and they have so much detail. And I was thinking about why people are always asking fiction writers, is this autobiographical? And it's really because the in the best of the best, it's just so believable. It's kind of like when you wake up from a dream and you're like, I just feel like that really happened. Or you're like, you were in my dream. Do you remember it too? Right? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Of or like, when you wake up from having fainted. Even more vivid, mm -hmm. according to... Uh, yeah, that was in The Gunners. The mm -hmm. Gunners, that was, which was I also really loved. But, um, but, I'm, but anyway, so... And I was also one of my students in craft class last night is writing this book that she's done a lot of research about her in-laws and just like incredible detail. And she is able to take a researched or told piece of detail and turn it into something like sensate and vivid. And you're just transported to this world that feels like a real world. Mm -hmm. And that's so fantastic. I mean, that's just captivating, right? So, and I think that what we do is we steal from like our own lives and our own imaginations and our own vivid ability to create worlds. Um, and we do it in this detailed way that is confident mm -hmm. and able and, and specific. And it's, and it's, and it's just, it's marvelous, right? It's just like and thrilling. And so, you know, we're in the, like in the, in the, in the immortalist, we're in the Castro in the seventies, mm. you know, and, and I know, I, I suspect we're going through these, five siblings or four siblings or whatever it is. So, you know, she's, I think she's going to be able to do this brilliantly for all these different people. And she already has to some extent. And so it's just like, that's the skill, you know, is like, you want people to say like to this woman who clearly looks very young in the book jacket, like, so when were you a gay man in the seventies in the Castro? <laughs> like, and you just know she was right. But mm -hmm. only in that fiction writer way. So I just want to steal that, um, the kind of the, the attention to detail, the absorption in detail, the cockiness mm. and confidence of going there like you would in a dream and presenting it and living it that vividly. It's mm. marvelous. It puts me in mind of asymmetry. Yeah. 
tell me more. Well, just that idea that, you know, so our book group read Asymmetry. And one of the things that we all had questions about is in the second section uh, where uh, the character goes back to, you know, early 20th century Iraq, right? And how that is. And the question I kept having is, you know, I feel like this feels real to me, but I have no context. Like I have no way of knowing if this is an accurate portrayal. I have right. no way. And, and in fact, I think it was so gripping as a read that it really made me question, like how much does this person actually know and yeah. how do they know it? And really wanting uh, there to be some really good legitimate reasons for her to know about this. <laughs> right. But and I think in a way that was sort of right, partly set up because mm-hmm. you have this first part that's like completely different and completely yes. different, very known clearly, you know, you know, whatever, this world, which actually, you know, there, there was a whole sort of marketing twist about this is autobiographical. And then it's like, here's it's part two, doesn't seem so autobiographical. Right. And partly to me, it's about proving like she she's the genius writer in that dyad right right well we that's what we discussed in our book group but it was it was again that piece about the authenticity of an experience and how do you generate that and you know it sounds like the immortalists is just knocking your socks off right now but i mean we'll see how it goes but yeah so far so good yes you well, I have been working with our kids who are now in middle school uh, using Judy Carter's Comedy Bible. And she's got a pretty straightforward step-by-step process that uh, I, I used a number of years ago with my friend Anastasia. And we did uh, a open mic in San Francisco. And then she went on to do a very long and awesome performance in uh, for her 30th birthday. I won't mention. And then she went on to, to uh, get a PhD in, our, in math and star in, in our film. <laughs> and then continued. Lost in the yes, middle. she's in the film. So um, and many other things. Yes, but the main thing that I'm really struck by is is the idea development process. And I actually did some work with the kids. So some of it's from Judy Carter. Some of it's stuff that kind of came to me while I was doing it. But the idea that. Uh, I guess, you know, this is actually probably a conflation of two different books I read. One is also about writing short screenplays that connect. And so that author has a thing. Roberta somebody? Or it's the other person. Yeah. All right. It'll be in the show notes. It will be. Um, Anyway, so that person has something called Le Menu. And so it's about an idea of generating these different things. But the idea that there are processes that you can repeat, because the truth is you are always concerned about something or angry about something or happy about something and that when we sit there and we feel like gosh I don't know what to write about very often we're not really connecting with the things that are true for us and so having like a concrete so I worked with the kids and you know they I don't have a topic I don't have a topic and you know some kids are still I don't have a topic um but the question what is your identity, some aspect of your identity? And it doesn't even have to be all that complicated. It can be, I'm an older sibling. And what does it mean to be an older sibling or a younger sibling? What does it mean to occupy the place in the world that you occupy? And we all have multiple facets. So honestly, every aspect of your identity is a place where you can be generating 
story generating essays generating comedy generating movies every single facet and everybody has multiple facets right so there's that huge amount and then the things that you care about and just making a list of the things that scare you I mean a number of kids are talking about climate change as, as a thing that scares mm. them but the thing that really kind of put me over the edge was that once they had sort of isolated a possible topic and one kid is writing about mac and cheese uh, I kept saying research 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 because that is going to give you so much to work with and I got a chance to see one of the students research the teacher did research with them they had to come up with 10 facts about the thing and the kid who did mac and cheese found that mac and cheese is the number one cheese recipe in the United States. And, you know, and she found details like how much pasta the average American eats versus the average Italian. And so there are all these mm, things that actually are really easily available once you dig in just a, even a little bit. Right. Especially so, now. Research is not a, an arduous task. At all. <laughs> so, I mean, there's probably a mac and cheese wiki, right? <laughs> and so... Going back to this idea of the generating worlds, it's about paying attention, right? And really digging in and talking to people, but also how much is available and how much you can uh, see in doing just basic research. So awesome. It makes me want to do stand up comedy. You can. We'll see. Anyway, uh, write your t All right. So here's what, here's what I'm going to say. If you end up wanting to have Elizabeth do stand up, why don't you write on in oh and uh, <laughs> to questions at Book in a Year. And or we'll, anything else you want to know. Or anything else you want to know. Bookinayear.com. Yes. And until next time, write, write your, your tushies, tushies off. off. Story makers. Story makers.